Paul writes, now these things happened as examples for us so that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try to serve, one more time, nor let us try to serve the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by servants, serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example and were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the age have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And I'm mixing up my new King James with my new American standard. So what we have here in the in Old Testament, excuse me, in this text is Paul using the Old Testament to explain to us some of the character of God. Now, this is just introductory. This is not the whole point of the lesson, but I wanted to run through this. What we learn in that text that we just read is that God does not tolerate self-serving religion that is designed for the ego and the flesh. That's primarily verse 7. We could unpack that a lot further, but that'll work for right now. He does not tolerate immorality. That was very clear. He does not tolerate being pushed or tried. Now, what that is a reference to is you know how you did when you were a kid. How far could you push mom before she got mad? Did anybody ever play that game? You know, some days I could push her three or four times, you know. And other days it was like the first time and you got in trouble. And th that's the idea of trying God or testing God, depending on how your translation says it. God doesn't tolerate being tested like that. And he doesn't tolerate grumbling and complaining, which is in verse 10, rather clear there. And so what we do is we get the, the character of God. We see God. We understand how we relate to God. And th this is what we get from the Old Testament, which Paul very clearly sets out there in 1 Corinthians 10 through 16. So now we're going to go to an Old Testament example, and we're going to look at what we can learn from Saul, especially in chapter 15. Now the whole story is verse 1 through 35. We're not going to hit all those verses. I picked out some things I wanted to say, and that will be what we look at. Now we are going to start at verse 1. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people Israel, over Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Now I highlighted that because I think that's really important. We need to listen to the word of the Lord. So we have a problem. Most people don't listen, right? What do most people hear? Most people hear what they want to hear, the way they want to hear it, uh, and we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more. So we have the encouragement in Scripture. We have a couple examples here. Christ had to get people to listen. That because just because you hear this sermon doesn't mean you listen to it. That's it's just not the same thing. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's Matthew eleven fifteen, And he's saying, look, we've got to slow down because too many people hear what they want to hear. They insert their own ideas into the text, examples coming, but they really insert them in there. And sometimes you wonder, how in the world did you ever get that from what you read? And they did not get it from what they read. They saw what they wanted to see, they heard what they wanted to hear, and that's what they chose to do. That's what we're going to see in Saul. I like this one. You might want to go back and look at it, Luke 9, 44, a little more in context later on. But I thought this was kind of neat. Let these words sink into your ears. You've got to hear what he says. Sink into your ears. Incidentally, in this particular context, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying until after the resurrection. Then, the, then it finally made sense. So when we talk about letting things soak in a little bit, it's not always as easy as it sounds. It takes some, takes some work. But let's be honest, most people are like spoiled kids. They, they just hear like a spoiled brat. And, and look, for a kid, 
You're dealing with a three-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old. No, they're, they're still growing. I get that. They're kids. You're 25, 35, 55, 65, 75. You know, there's, there comes a time to... What, how did Paul say it in 1 Corinthians 13? I, was a, I spoke as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, here's part of our problem. we got a whole lot of people in our community, the world, walking around in grown-up skin, and they still had not put away childish things. So follow, Saul is going to follow the message he wants to hear, not the message that's delivered to him. And we'll come back to this phrase just to remind us. Let him who thinks he stand take heed, lest he fall. Man, just because you can speak Christianese, that doesn't make you a Christian. So here's the message to Saul. Really pretty simple message here. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. Do not spare him. But put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Okay, what are God's words here? Utterly destroy. Any problem with that one? Don't spare him. Put everybody to death. And the ox and the sheep and the camel and the donkeys. Now that is God's word, which is what Saul should have followed. But Saul did not hear what God said. Saul heard what he chose to hear, and this is one of the big things we're up against. Not just out there in the world, but even among our own members at times, and more importantly, within self. That's the tough one. You see, it's real easy for me to look at John Q. Public and go, yeah, he needs this Bible verse right here, blah, blah, blah. You know, Or, or even to look at somebody a little closer to me and go, well, yeah, no, they, need, they need to hear that word too. The hardest part is to look into the mirror of God's word at self and go, am I really hearing what God said or am I hearing what I wanted to hear? And you know the answer to this is really pretty simple. It is to open up your Bible. Let's just use the text we have up here and go over it word for word. Let's imagine, just for imaginary sake, for a moment that Saul had this in writing. Of course, you could almost memorize that on the fly. And he sits down and he goes, okay, this is what God wants me to do. Go and strike Amalek, okay, I know who. Utterly destroy all that he has. Now Saul needs to pull his pen out about that time and underline all, right? Do not spare him. Okay, don't bring him back alive. Let's underline that. And put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox, sheep, camel and donkey. Now he needs to look at that a minute and he needs to come back to it one more time and do it again. Be sure he really got it. And then go do what he said. But what he did was he heard rather quickly and he heard what he wanted to hear and he was done. And that's what happens with scripture. We read it real quick. We think we know what we wanted it to mean and we're done. So people, absolutely the same today. Paul warns us the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. That's in the opening passage that, that we read. And there is a lot of that today. Now, the way they did it 3,000 years ago, maybe pushing 3,500 years ago there, uh, they did it different. But basic line is, they focused on the ego and the flesh. That's what idolatry was all about. Let's make religion fun. Let's make religion do what we want religion to do the way we want it done. And so they created what you and I would refer to historically as idolatry. And they actually, in that particular text, claimed they were worshiping God of heaven, the one that delivered them out of Egypt. But it, 
different story, but it didn't work for them. So are people hear what they want to hear. Oh yeah, church is supposed to be all recreation, entertainment, and a lot of fun. No, it's not. So Paul warns us, if anyone's hungry, let him eat at home so you won't come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. But people read verses like that, and what do they hear? They hear what they want to hear. Now let's do with this one what we did with Paul. Let's go back and read it. If anyone is what? Hungry. Okay. He needs to eat. Uh, let, him, let him eat in the multi-family life center. No? Let him eat where? What does the word say? Now what are you hearing? You see? Uh, multi-purpose building. You know, this is when you come together for judgment, so on and so forth. And this is the challenge we're up against. Modern variations, and there's so bazillion many of them. This is just one example we use. Uh, and it's about, what do I want? I know, preacher, it says, but. And Saul heard what he wanted to hear. Now, now we know that because we'll read a longer text here. Now, we're, we're dropping down a few verses in 1 Samuel 15. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Did you catch it? Go back and look at verse 3 if you have to. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatling, the lamb, and all that was good. And we're not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Okay, can you juggle the two in your mind together because I don't have the verse back up here. What did he tell him to do? Utterly destroy everything he has. And then he gave a list of what everything meant, right? And so had he looked at it and read it really close, he would have known what he was supposed to destroy. What did he hear? What he heard was, Go in there and wipe out the bad stuff and keep the good stuff. Now, that's a little oversimplification, but that's basically what he heard. And so he wasn't willing to destroy everything the way he was told to do it. He had his own revision, his own version of what he was going to destroy. And then he has this wonderful self-delusion, which is what, what humanity is so good at, is self-delusion. Saul came, Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have carried out the commandment of the Lord. Now we're looking 3,500 years later. We kind of get this, don't we? Did he carry out the commandment of the Lord? You can look at, was that verse 3? Where he said, go and destroy everything. And then we saw what he actually did destroy. But in his mind, he thought he'd done it. In his mind, he did what he thought... Or should I say it this way? He did what he wanted to hear. And he wasn't right with God. But he thought he was. Isn't that kind of a spooky place to be? He did what he chose to hear. But not what God said to do. Now, the lesson for us, what are we doing? We're looking at King Saul. We're not, we don't want to condemn King Saul. Let, let's pretend we condemn King Saul for a moment. What difference is that going to make? Where's King Saul now? How long has he been there? How are we ever going to affect anything about King Saul? <laughs> Zero zip not, right? That is totally for us to look at and learn something from it. Okay, basic lesson right now. God said, I want you to kill everything. Saul said, okay, that means all the bad stuff. A little, little transition there. And so he kept the good stuff. He came back and he said, hey, I did everything God wanted me to do. I'm cool. 
And we're getting ready to find out that's not the way it worked. We need to take heed. Lest we think we're standing right with God and we're not. And it's still common today. Let's, let's do an example here. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Mark 16, 16, out of the New American Standard. And so look at it. Read the words for a moment. Let's take the part just before the semicolon. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. There's the instruction. Pretty simple, right? So Jesus taught baptism. What do people choose to hear? How many of you have friends that choose to hear he who believes is saved and later may be baptized if he wants to? Got any friends that teach that? Any friend? I mean, I've got them. I'm sure you've got them. Wait, where, where did they get that? What did the word say? If I go back to book, chapter, and verse, which is where we always want to go, I read, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Okay, I got that. Where did I read, he who believes is saved and later may be baptized? But that's what they hear. That's what they've been told that means. That's what they accepted. And again, it's kind of back to the, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Because this is the kind of nonsense King Saul got caught up into. And it's the same kind of nonsense we can get caught up into. So let me just throw in an extra example here. I don't have it on the slides, but we'll use marriage. So he says to the wife, wives, submit to your own husband as unto the Lord. Well, that just means that he's not being stupid about something. But if I disagree with him, then, you know, I don't want to pick on the women because I'm not a woman. I'd rather go down to the part where he says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church gave himself for it and then he goes on to say no one disregards their own flesh they nurture and cherish their own flesh and this is the way we're to do our wife is to nurture and cherish her now now let me tell you what that means that means i pay the electric bill it's done i nursed and cherished her done did ladies how's that working for you <laughs> no you see we we can be guilty of those things. Now, we're not as blatant as, as the baptism thing, but when he tells us men, fathers, you raise your children in the nurture and admission of the Lord. Well, let me tell you what, that, that means I turn it over to my wife. Well, I, I have no argument that the wife is involved in it. Mamas are going to be part of it, but who did he put in charge of it? Oh, did you see how we, we, we play those games? Uh, and it goes on and on and on. You know, uh, let me throw another quick one in. Titus chapter 3, uh, maybe verse 2. Uh, Old King, New King James. Speak evil of no one. But that doesn't mean politicians. Right? And that doesn't mean, and that doesn't mean, no, no what, what does speak evil of no one mean? What did it mean when Samuel said to Saul, Utterly destroy everything he has. You see, that, that's, that's why it's still common today, and we're not immune to that kind of thing. So Hebrews 5 9, another example. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. And a lot of people hear this. He became to all those who like him the source of salvation. How many of you got friends, and, and I'm sure all of us again, and they go, oh, I kind of like Jesus. Or, or they'll do, I, I believe he lived. 
It's that, I call it the historical agreement. Oh, yeah, I believe he was a good guy. And now all of a sudden they're saved. Is that what that verse says? What does it say? He became to all those who admire him. No. He came to all those who agree he existed, the source of eternal sin. To all those who obey him. And now we have a whole segment of our broader religious community that teaches grace only and faith only. You don't even have to obey. In fact, someone will tell you if you obey, you have nullified the grace of God. Now, I don't know where they read that, but I know they teach that. And here I have word for word in the divine text, those who obey him, the source of eternal salvation. So if you want him to be your source of eternal salvation, what do you do? Well, you obey him. But a lot of people choose to hear that obedience is optional, that it really doesn't count. Well, you know, it really didn't mean that. And so also Saul was falsely confident. And when he said, I have fulfilled the commandment of God, and he thought everything was a-okay. Look, you think you stand right with God? It's time to do some looking in the mirror. Now, let me add one other thing there. I don't want a hand raising if you think you qualify. Are you 100% perfectly mature in every possible way you can achieve maturity in the course of this life? Raise your hand. I've taken perfecting holiness to such a level that only God himself can be more holy than I can. No. And none of us arrogant enough to say, oh yeah, I'm there, preacher. And yet, when you say, okay, we need to spend some time self-evaluating, self-reflecting, looking in the mirror of God's word. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, if I get some time later on this week, I will. So Saul's rationalization. He was going to do some fast talk, uh, you know, or how do you call it, backpedaling, make some excuses and weasel around. And, and here's the problem with this. It works man to man. It literally works. How many of you have been dead wrong of breaking the speed limit sign on the road? Blue lights pop up, he pulls you over, and by the time it's done, you drive off without a ticket because you had a way of explaining it to him that convinced him you don't need a ticket. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying it works man to man. Once in my youthful days when I was a little, uh, they called it acting out. Anyway, I missed a day of school. A little more story to that than we'll make that word take. I missed a day of school. Well, then the next day, the dean of boys wanted to talk about me being absent that day. I talked my way out of it and went back to my class with a little slip that said, I'm a-okay. It works man to man. Woman to woman, husband to wife, child to parent, parent to child, boss to employee. It will work. Will it work with God? That's the problem. And that's where part of the delusion comes in. We say, and this isn't the wisest thing to say, but we do say it is easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. You ever use that one? Well, if I'll get caught, I'll just figure it out then. Okay, now again, man to man, this kind of works sometimes. With God, this doesn't work. You can't fast talk your way around God. Here's, here's part of the problem. He said in Matthew 6, 33, seek second the kingdom of God. Nope. Seek first the kingdom of God. He said in Matthew 16, 26, if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, you're in a heap of trouble. 
Okay, I added that last part. He said, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He has already placed on us the obligation, the responsibility to seek him number one over every possible thing you can think of. Even mother and father and son and daughter over your very life. He is to be the most exclusive thing in your life. Now, how are you going to fast talk around that? Oh, 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 Lord, I, I'm sorry. I thought what you meant was show up at Christmas and Easter. I didn't mean you really meant to see first. What did the word? I didn't mean it. Really? Body of living sacrifice? Oh, I missed that part. See, it, it won't work with God. Those people still think that way. They think they're going to go, oh, I'm sorry. I thought when you said believing is baptized, you meant baptism is an option. <laughs> Uh, and they think they're going to chuckle their way around it just like we do sometimes with other people. And I think they fully expect a pat on the head. Oh, I'm sorry you misunderstood that thing about baptism. Bless your little heart. Come on into heaven. It's okay. And I'm going to get off on just a little bit of a tangent, but I'll keep it really, really short. I think participation trophies are a big part of the problem. Man, when I was growing up and you were in the sports team, the bowling league, I was on a bowling league. Isn't that exciting? First place trophy. Second place got a little bitty trophy. Third place got a ribbon. And guess what fourth place got? Try harder next year. Maybe you'll get it. Times change somewhere after that, and everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets an award. I don't care how bad or several or yuck it was. Still, here's your award. This is your good effort award. Okay, secular areas, maybe that's okay. I think the psychology is starting to disagree, but let's just pretend that's okay. Everybody needs a participation award on a secular level. God doesn't give out participation, good efforts. Oh, nice try. Sorry, that's not the way it worked. How did it all work out for Saul? But you know the rest of the story, but we're going there. First Samuel 10. 15, excuse me, verse 10 through 11. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret I've made Saul king for he's turned back from follow me has not carried out my commandments. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Now, go back and read it closer. Saul did not rebel 100%. He actually did some of what God told him to do. In fact, you could say he did some major parts of what God told him to do. In fact, what we have in the text is he brought back the king, one person, and he brought back the good livestock, but all the bad livestock is dead, and all the people are dead. See, he did some significant things that God said to do, but he only did part of what God said to do, and God wasn't buying it. God said, love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That's Deuteronomy 6, 5, which preceded Saul. Now, I quote it out of Matthew 22 all the time, but that's what it is. So, Saul's ideas versus God. So Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him again, Blessed are you, the Lord, I've carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, I can talk my way out of this. They brought them from the Amalekites where the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we've utterly destroyed. 
It's all a religious thing. We're just trying to get closer to God. We were trying to feel good about God. We were just trying to worship God. Mm -hmm. Saul's excuse. It was to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Sound like people today? We have recreation and entertainment because we're just trying to get people closer to God by feeding their flesh. I like the old farmer that says you don't make the pig thinner by feeding him more grain. If you feed the flesh, the flesh is going to want more and more. That's just the way it works. But people today know they know more than the Bible. Uh, and it's like, no, 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 no. We've got to have our dance team, our praise and worship team, or whatever you want to call them. And we're going to have this really big show and the fog machines and all that stuff. Because it's just to praise God. That's what it's all about. So I had to work out for Saul. Saul was disobedient. And the Lord sent you on a mission, Samuel says to him. And said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoils and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Partial obedience? Absolutely. Uh, if we assume he was sincere, then he was just trying to worship God. And it was all evil in the sight of the Lord. It didn't work. If he really, really wanted to worship God and really, really please God, then the instruction was very clear back in verse 3. Utterly destroy. Kill it all. Don't bring anything back. If he really wanted to worship God, but see, he was caught up in pride and ego. And I didn't go into it, but I believe it's verse 2. It may be verse 3. It, stopped, it says there that he set up a monument. Set up a little marker to himself. Uh-huh. That was ego. Look at me. Let, let, let me set this up and remind everybody how great I am. So Saul's going to defend his excuse. And Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. I went on the mission which the Lord sent me. And now, isn't this funny coming out of his mouth? And have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoiled sheep and oxen, the choices of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Now, now, look at the comedy of that. Go back and look at verse 3, what he said to do. Destroy everything. He says, I did it! And we just brought back some of the stuff to worship God. His own excuse, his own spin, is a confession that he did not do it. Because what he was told to do was ox and sheep and whatever it lists there, destroy it. And he says, by his own omission, we didn't destroy it. We brought it back. Uh, and that was for their own entertainment. Incidentally, we'd have to go into an explanation of what Old Testament worship generally consisted of. But let's not go there now. Saul just refuses to see the truth. That he disobeyed God. So it's standing before God. And we're getting closer to the end here. Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice to heed than the fat of rams. Now look at verse 23. Rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, he's also rejected you from being king. Now again, let me remind you, Saul did a whole lot of what God said to do. He, he did big parts of that. And it was still rebellion because he followed his own revised version if you would. And so God rejected him from being king. God is looking for people who will do what he said to do. 
And it's these areas that tempt us that are the most telling. So God can say to me, don't murder. That's the last thing I want to do. I know where those people live and it is not pretty. I don't want to live there. You know, so you tell me not to murder. No problem. Wasn't on my list anywhere. Didn't even have a spot on my agenda sheet to put, oh, who am I going to murder today? Not even there. But what about things that get a little closer to home? Ah, that's where we find out, am I really, really loyal to God? So God didn't accept his revision, didn't accept his version of, well, this is what I really thought you meant. What God is looking for is those loyal, faithful hearts. Now notice how serious this is. All he did, can I put it in those words? All he did was keep a little bit of it to worship God. His, his excuse, right? Samuel said, that's witchcraft, to use the King James word, divination, to use the New American Standard. That's what he said. So you're just like somebody out there practicing witchcraft, which incidentally, he killed most of those people. It's iniquity. That's what you're doing. It's like idolatry. That's what you're doing. And so the lesson for us is that when we start customizing the Bible, it's not a little thing. When God said, he that believeth and has been baptized shall be saved, it's not our place to come in and go, yeah, but, you know, there's this guy in the desert. And now we're off to what if and yes, but land. The whole time we're sitting in an auditorium. I'm not six feet from a baptistry that's full and it has no application whatsoever to anyone in our community, the desert scenario, when we start spinning and playing games and you've got friends that do it too. Customizing and rewriting is not a little thing with God. So these things were written for our learning, right? So what are we supposed to learn? Here it is. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's the point of the lesson. That's the lesson I get. Now, we can get other lessons from 1 Samuel 15, but that's the lesson I wanted to bring out today. So I said in the header that Saul is an excellent example, and you might be thinking, that's a little odd. But when I put this next one on there, now what do you think? He's an excellent example of what not to do. Don't, don't play with the word. Read that word, follow that word, get as close to the word as you can. And that message is even more important because we live in a society where now the idea of being a Bible thumper is less and less. There are a lot of folks claiming to be Christian and they don't even believe the Bible. And if you find that a little odd, I want you to Google it this afternoon just for your own entertainment. Christians that don't believe the Bible. And you will find reference after reference after reference after reference. And we're going back to the book, chapter, and verse. And he said it in the Word. We're going to do our best to follow it. If you're not following the Word, then I'm going to encourage you to do what? <laughs> follow the Word. If you're following the Word and you're growing and developing, stay the course. That's what we're here for. If we can help you in a public way, let us do so. While together we stand and sing.